First John chapter two verses one. I'm sorry, verses seven. Verse 11. First John two seven to eleven. The title of my sermon is A New Commandment. The big idea when we love our fellow believers, we give evidence of our union with Christ. If that sounds foreign to you, that language, union with Christ, Paul's favorite phrase in the New Testament. He, he always says, I'm in Christ. I'm in, in, that sounds so strange. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, right? Union with Christ means we're in Christ. John 15, he's the vine and we are the branches. We've been connected to Christ by faith. Right? So if you're in Christ, it just means you've trusted in him. You've been united to him. What's true of him is now true for you. Amen? He's righteous, so you're now... Amen. That's good news. So when we love our fellow believers, we give evidence of our union with Christ and the power of the gospel. Let me read the text, and then I'll tell a quick story. 1 John 2, 7 to 11. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. And this is where it may get a little confusing. At the same time, it is a new commandment. <laughs> it's both old and new. What does that mean? We'll talk about it. So at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because... The darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Um, one. Praise God for his word. Amen? It's a good text. Uh, I'll tell you a story. It's one of my favorite. I love sports movies. Rudy is one of my all-time favorites. Um, another one, though, is Remember the Titans. I really enjoy that movie. My favorite scene is when they go to camp together. I've shared this story before. You have two buses, and uh, it's during a time of segregation, right? They're now bringing uh, the blacks and the whites together. But what happens is the white students, the white players, they all gravitate towards one bus, and then the black players, they gravitate towards the other bus, and then the coach says, no, 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 we're not doing this. We're going to mix it up. We're going to put black and white together, and actually you guys are going to room together. And, and this was just like taboo. What are, you, what are you doing? The best part of the movie, right? I mean, I got, when I lived in Africa, you know, I, I showed this movie to my students. And they were familiar with segregation, you know, in the 50s. But to see it on, on a screen was really interesting for them. I wish you could have seen my students watch this movie. It was incredible. But that, that scene at camp where it just, they click. They realize that if we're going to play together, if we're going to win, we got to come together, right? And they do at camp. They come together. Strong side. Left side. Strong side. And they start playing together. And the best part of the movie is they're coming back from camp. And the black kids and the white kids are now sitting together by choice, and they're singing together, and they're hugging each other, and then they pull in the parking lot, and the parents are like, what in the world happened to camp? Right? So there's something different. They've come together. 
They care. They love each other now, right? And again, that is a picture of what the gospel does, right? The gospel provides both vertical reconciliation. So we are reconciled to a holy God. Whereas before, because of sin, we were separated. But through Christ, we're vertically reconciled to God. But the second part is we're horizontally reconciled to his body. And we're brought into a new family. And what is to mark that family? Love. All right. What do we learn in our passage? There's three points. So it's pretty simple tonight. Number one, the gospel exemplifies love. Okay? What I mean by that is in the life and death of Jesus, we see love. Right? The gospel story exemplifies love. You want to know what love looks like? Look at Jesus. Look at his life and his death. Number two, the gospel moves us to love. So not only does the gospel exemplify love, it shows us what love looks like, the gospel transforms us or moves us to love. And then number three, a gospel community, a local church, is evidenced by love. The church is marked by both vertical and horizontal love, right? So, number one, the gospel exemplifies love. Verse seven, beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. So, what is the old commandment that the believers have had from the beginning? Now, in the larger context of our passage, as seen in verse 10, the commandment that John has in mind is for believers to love one another. First John 2.10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. We'll flip beyond our passage. We'll just kind of stay within First John. First John 3 verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. There are two layers here. How many? Two layers here, right? So First, the old commandment goes back to the teachings of Jesus. The commandment to love was an integral part of Jesus' teaching ministry. In 1 John 2, 8, John says, The old commandment is the word that you have heard. So remember that. The old commandment is the word you have heard. That rhymes. The word you have heard. This phrase looks back to 1 John 2, 5. So 1 John 2, 8, the old commandment is the word that you, word that you heard. 1 John 2, 5, but whoever keeps his word, whose word? Jesus is the subject. Whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. So the churches being addressed by John, John the beloved disciple who wrote these letters, right? 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and the Gospel of John and Revelation. Good. The churches being addressed by John were familiar with the teachings of him, teachings of Jesus. They knew his word, and they were expected to obey it. And part of Jesus' word was the commandment to love one another. And if you've, if you've read Jesus, so right now, I don't read the Bible in a year. I'm in Matthew right now. Uh, so I'm reading through Matthew, and I'm also reading John with my kids. We're doing that every night together. Just going to keep reading through John until we're done with John. Okay? We can keep doing it for a couple of years probably. Um, so I'm familiar with Jesus' ministry. And something he reiterates throughout his teaching ministry is the importance of followers of Christ loving each other, loving one another. Um, it's clear that John's readers had a knowledge of his gospel. His gospel was written before his letters. 
He alludes to his gospel so many times in 1 John. It's obvious that these readers were familiar with his gospel. And I think one passage they knew fairly well was John 13, 34. Listen to it. A new commandment I give to you. There it is. The same wording from our passage in 1 John. A new commandment, Jesus said, I give to you that you love one another. But you're thinking, how is it new? I mean, if you know the Mosaic law, I mean, Leviticus, there's the command to love one another. So is, did Jesus get it wrong? Well, no, of course not, right? Jesus is perfect. So what do you think he means when he says a new commandment? Let's keep reading. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Ah, just as I have loved you, you're also to love one another. Well, that's new. Had Jesus come yet? Before this? No. The old commandment that they had, so I said there's two layers, right? So one, the old commandment goes back to the teachings of Jesus himself, but it goes even further back. Where? To the Old Testament. The old commandment is love one another. This commandment goes back to the Mosaic law. And if you recall the structure, the way the Ten Commandments are structured, the first half of the Decalogue, the Ten Laws, deals with mankind and his love for God. And the second half deals with mankind and his love for each other, right? Leviticus 19.18. This is, this is the Old Testament. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There it is. Let's pause here for a moment. Okay, follow me here. Understanding the Old Commandment and its purpose. Okay, so understanding the Old Commandment, which is what? Love one another. And its purpose is fundamentally related to understanding the mission of Jesus in John's wording here. So God's purpose, you ready for this? God's purpose from the very beginning has always been to create and pursue a people for himself. Amen? A people for himself, a people vertically reconciled to him and committed to him in worship. That's the first part. And a people horizontally committed to one another, marked by selfless love. That is God's purpose for his people, right? To pursue and rescue a people for himself that love him and love each other. Adam and Eve rejected this vocation. Israel rejected this vocation. Christ fulfilled this vocation. Jesus has demonstrated what it means to be truly human, to live in submission to God and to love sacrificially. So the purpose of Christ's coming was to create in himself a new humanity, a people vertically reconciled to God and horizontally committed to one another and marked by love. 1 John 2.6 is the key to our premise because, as stated by John, those who abide in Jesus, who are in him by faith, are expected to walk in the same manner in which he walked. And only those who are in Christ by faith can live as God's newly restored humanity. The church, right? The church, God's people. God has created a new humanity in Jesus. And again, God's people, if you've trusted in Jesus, vertically reconciled to God, horizontally reconciled to his people, and you're marked with what? Marked with love. How else does John describe the commandment to love in our passage? Verse 8. At the same time, it's a new commandment. Well, I thought it was old. How's it new? <laughs> does that confuse anybody? It's like he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth. It's old, but it's new. What does that mean? 
At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because, whenever you see because, it gives the grounds or the reason for what he stated before. Okay, so I would underline because. It's new because. The darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. It's new. Jesus says something very similar in John 13, right? A new commandment I give to you, love each other as I've loved you, right? And then you, and you, and you do that, and the result is you show the world that you're my disciples. But what makes the old commandment new? Verse 8's the key. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him. Okay, everybody say, true in him. It's true in him. What has happened to make the old commandment to love new? It's not a what, it's a who. It's Jesus, okay? And the key, this is good. The key phrase for understanding how Christ has made the commandment to love new and how this newness has implications for us is the first half of verse 8, specifically the middle phrase. Here it is. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him. I want to fix our attention on that phrase. It's true in him. What does it mean that the commandment to love is true in Jesus and therefore new? It's true in Jesus, and therefore it's new, the commandment to love. The newness of the commandment to love is somehow related to Jesus, but how? The phrase is true in him. True in who? Jesus means that the commandment to love has been perfectly realized and fulfilled in who? Jesus. He has fulfilled the love commandment perfectly and fully as seen in his life and his death. So the command to love is exemplified in Jesus. Now here's, here's where we're going to get practical. The newness of the commandment to love is directly related to Jesus in three ways. And I put this in your notes, okay? The newness of this commandment, it's directly related to Jesus in three ways. A, his example. B, his representation. And C, his empowerment. His example, his representation, his empowerment. Let's start with his example. You guys know that love has been seen. Love has been seen. It's been seen in Jesus. Mark 10, 45, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Jesus said, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And he doesn't stop there. And to give his life as a ransom for many. What? Romans 5, 6, and 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the the weak and the ungodly he died. What? Not the good, not the righteous, not the moral, but the weak and the ungodly. Paul goes on. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Weak, ungodly sinners. Christ died for us, showing us God's love. All right, I like baseball. I was only ever okay. I mean, I was, yeah. Soccer was my main sport. And I would say I was okay in soccer, too. <laughs> okay. Um, I love baseball. I, I really do. I hope my boys play this year. You know, baseball, coaching's tough. 
there's a lot of fundamentals. There's a lot you have to learn in baseball, right? Um, you have to learn how to throw a ball the correct way, field a ball the right way. If you don't field a ball the correct way, you're going to break a finger, right? You, you got to learn how to swing a bat the right way. The, the mechanics of baseball are unique. I've played a lot of sports. Tennis is like that, too. If you play tennis and I play tennis, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. But a coach's job is to instruct, and we'll say young kids, right? Well, let's say we're talking 12- and 13-year-old kids. Right, so this is like Little League World Series age. Right? Is, that, is that like 10 to 12, typically? 10 to 12? So the coach has to instruct these kids how to fill the ball, how to hit a ball. Agreed? That's important. But imagine this. Imagine the Astros. They make a trip. I had the Rangers in my illustration, but I changed it for you, brother. That was for you, K-Dog. So the Astros come, and they take a week to walk with this team and to show them how to field, how to how to you know play infield, how to play outfield, how to hit a baseball, the, the proper mechanics. You have the best of the best taking time, not just to instruct, but to exemplify, to show them. That's what we have in the gospel. Amen? We have the best of the best. We have Jesus. We have God in the flesh showing us love. With Jesus, never before had such love been seen. The incarnation, God becoming human to die for his creation. Are you kidding me? That's new. <laughs> that had not happened yet. Amen? That's new. We have a foretaste of this in John 13. Remember, Jesus is the embodiment of love. In the Gospels, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see love walking and talking. Love has a name. It's Jesus. Now, it's important that we define love, and this is good. Um, man, I, words matter, okay? Definitions matter. And there is a word. Oh, it's been so abused and misapplied and misunderstood in our culture, and it's such an important biblical word. It's the word love. If you go, if you went to downtown Seattle, and you just started asking, hey, will you define love? Oh my goodness, you would get the craziest answers. It's a catchword in our culture. It's one, the word love is used to push agendas and even to justify abhorrent behaviors. I did it because I love them. If you love me, you would allow this or support my decision. Hey, this is the loving thing to do. Never before has the word love been so misunderstood misapplied and abused. I think many today in our culture understand love to mean tolerance. It's not what it means. Does love mean tolerate? Of course not. If you love someone, you tolerate what they do. If what they do gives them meaning and happiness. Really? So if your toddler wishes to touch a hot stove or play with a light socket, you'll tolerate it so that they can explore their creative outlets, pun intended. <laughs> of course you're not going to do that, because you love them, you will intervene, right? You're not going to tolerate, you're going to intervene. So what does it mean to love? And this, this, this is like the most used word in 1 John, so you better pay attention, okay? It's used a ton. What does it mean? The verb, it's agapao. Agape is the Greek noun, love, but... Agapao is the Greek verb. It means to have affection for someone. It means to practice, express, 
improve that affection. It's more than lip service. It's, it's showing affection. Okay, we're getting closer to the definition. Here's the definition. And I, I put this in your notes. To love is to sacrificially pursue the good of another. And I would add for the glory of God. Okay? To love is to sacrificially pursue the good of another for the glory of God. Love is costly. Amen? We know that because of the cross. And it seeks the good of others. We know that because of the cross. Love costs time. It costs energy. It costs comforts. It costs reputations. It costs money. It denotes action, not just words, because love serves. I love Galatians 6, 1 and 2. It's a good one. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, all that means there. He's not, Paul's not saying, hey, the spiritual elite. He's saying, no, if you have the spirit and you're a Christian, this is for you. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Okay, so my brother's in sin. I need to come alongside them and restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And what is that law? It's a law of love, love, right? Love corrects. Love bears burdens. That's the loving thing to do. If love meant tolerate, when a fellow believer is in sin, you're going to say, hey, you know what, bro? If that makes you happy, go for it. Is that the loving thing to do? According to our passage, it's to come alongside and correct. It's to bear burdens. 1 John 3, 16 to 18. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. We have to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Again, to love is to sacrificially pursue the good of another for the glory of God. And we have the ultimate example of this in who? Jesus. So the first thing was what? His example. The second thing is representation. Now this is cool. All right. This is going to blow your minds. I hope. This is related to the next half of the middle phrase in verse 8. So again, love, which is true in him and in you. How is it true in me? Because it's true in him, it's true in us, Christ's people. What's true in him is true for us. Let's read this in context. 1 John 2, 1. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We are righteous before the Father, because we are represented by the one who is, is righteous before the Father, Jesus Christ. Furthermore, only Jesus has fulfilled the love commandment perfectly. Have we done that? Say it in Spanish. Yeah. No, of course not. Only Jesus has fulfilled the love commandment perfectly. He has demonstrated what it means to love selflessly and for the glory of God. And only by being in Christ, only by having faith in Jesus, whether Jew or Gentile, are we counted as being in the people of God and those who are truly loving or have love. Because the commandment to love has been realized in Jesus, it's true for those who are in Jesus. That, that's going to blow your mind. So what does Satan mean? Satan's a real person, right? A fallen angel. But the word Satan means accuser. And that is his job, is to accuse, to deceive, yes, but to accuse. 
And I've talked to so many Christians and those who love Jesus and they sin. I think I'm saved, Chris. I, I mean, I just feel like garbage. I'm sure God hates me. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's, that's Satan. I mean, that, that, those are the things that Satan would say, and they're not true. But do you know how the Father sees you? If you're in Christ, he sees you as righteous because you're represented by the one who is righteous, who is Jesus. So again, because the command to love has been realized or fulfilled in Jesus, it's true for those who are represented by Jesus. We are counted as having kept the law because we're represented by the one who did keep the law. What? <laughs> Isn't that good? That's unbelievable. Colossians 3.3. For you've died and your life is hidden. It's hidden with Christ in God. It's hidden with Christ in God. So again, what does the Father say when Satan makes his accusation? He's hidden in my son. When I, when I see Matt, I, I see the righteousness of my son. Bro, that's good news. Amen? That's really good news. But there's more. It, it's not just we're represented by Jesus, so we're counted as those who have loved, but we're empowered by Jesus to love. Oh, okay, so we have his example. We have his representation. We have his empowerment. His empowerment. This brings us to our second point. The gospel moves us to love. Here's the logic of our passage. Okay, Here's the logic of our passage. 1 John 2, 7-11. Christ loved so that we could love. And when we love, we demonstrate that we belong to Christ. Christ loved. And how did Christ love? 1 John 3, 16-17. He laid down his life. He died. Right? Christ loved so that we could love. And when we love, we demonstrate that we belong to the Christ. That's the logic of our passage. And again, this is the, the last of the three ways the commandment to love has been made new in Jesus. It's by his empowerment. Something has happened in salvation history. Christ has come. He's lived. He's died. He's been raised. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And the Father and the Son have sent the Spirit that now indwells the people of God, empowering us to love, 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 love. We can love like Christ because we are in Christ. So we have his example, amen? We have his representation, amen? But we have his power. His power. 1 John 2, 6 spells it out for us. Whoever says he abides in him. There's that union with Christ language. Whoever says he abides, you've been united to Jesus, connected to him by faith. Again, I say this a lot. I think it's a really good illustration. I wish I'd made it up. I didn't. Rankin Wilburn did years ago. A vacuum cleaner. I love to vacuum because it's like mowing the carpet. And I really enjoy mowing. Except when the ants get me. <laughs> oh my goodness, that was terrible. Ah! Anyways, I got the ants. I got them back. But a vacuum cleaner unplugged can do nothing. It's not plugged into the source, but as soon as it's plugged in, it comes alive, right? It's got power. If you've been united to Christ, if you've trusted in him, you've plugged in, you have the, the power to live differently. So again, 1 John 2, 6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And how did Jesus walk? He lived a life marked by love. Compare 1 John 2, 6 with 1 John 2, 10. 1 John 2, 10. 
Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. Who's the light? So if you abide in the light, you do what? You love your brother. <laughs> okay. And you can because you abide in the light. So when we love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we give evidence that we abide, that we've been united to Christ. Again, this is the source of our strength, our power, to love like Christ is being united to Christ. So again, is he our example? Church would say yes. Is he our representative? Yeah. Is, is he our empowerment? Yeah. Man. Uh, kind of corny illustration, but Spider-Man. I like Spider-Man. Gotcha. Um, something on the outside had to act upon, something external had to act upon Spider or Peter Parker for him to become Spider-Man. He was bitten by this radioactive spider. Okay, and this changed his entire genetic makeup, which is cool, right? He was transformed. Through our union with Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit, who is given to us, enters into us, transforming us. I'm not Spider-Man, by the way, so don't go outside. That's what I'm saying. But I'm saying, like Spider-Man, something from the outside had to enter in, transforming us, God's people, to live differently. And one way we show that is by our, our love. Our love. Let me skip down because of time. Verse 8. So, again, this is going to answer the question, why is the commandment to love new? Or how are we able to love the way God wants us to love? How? What makes it new? How do we love the way God wants us to love? We all agree that we're called to love each other as Christians. How? We have his example. We have his representation. We have his power, right? But look at, look at the end of verse 8. Because... Oh, the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Okay, so this is this is Old Testament language. This is Isaiah 59. You're in the darkness. You're groping like dead man. You're blind. You can't see. You're dead. You're in the dark. Represents sin, right? But then Isaiah 60, the next chapter, arise, shine for your, there it is, sister, your light has come. And then 61, who comes? The Messiah, who's going to be what? Marked by the Spirit, who's going to preach rescue or deliverance for the captive, who's going to open the blind eyes. Do you see what John is saying? We can live differently because the light has come. The darkness is passing away. The time of salvation is now. Something has happened in salvation history. The language of darkness passing away is beaming with Old Testament imagery. This is to be heard as fulfillment language. Paul does the same thing in Romans and elsewhere. Romans 13, 12. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Ephesians 5, 8. For at one time you were, you were darkness, right? Darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Oh, the light's come. And we're in him. Amen? Because of that, we can walk as children of light. We can love. Oh, man. I'm debating. I've got about 10 minutes. Um, let me, I think I've said this enough. I mean, I can skip this section. When you trust in Jesus, you are essentially brought into a new sphere of existence, right? You're now in 
Christ. You're now living by the Spirit. You now have new power to live. There's a new ethic, right? We're called to love, and we can love because we're in Christ. The gospel results in a new way of living. The gospel not only provides forgiveness, but you guys are getting it. Transformation. Amen. Right? What does this mean for the church? That's point number three. I think we can finish. Point number three. A gospel community is evidenced by, by love. This is verses 9 to 11. Whoever, this is, man, this is tough. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Did you guys hear that? Whoever says he's in the light but hates his brother, his fellow Christian, is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. Again, a gospel community is evidenced by what? Love. And in him there's no cause for stumbling. You know, when the Bible repeats something, I think it's the Spirit saying, listen, don't miss this. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Whoa. Okay. So we have two uh, diametrically opposed realms mentioned in these verses and two diametrically opposed behaviors that are concomitant to these realms, right? If you belong to the darkness, you're marked by hate. And if you belong to the light, you're marked by marked by love. Where are you? <laughs> I mean, where are you? Now, according to verse 9 and verse 11, those who are in the darkness are characterized by horizontal hate. They hate those within the Christian community. Now, hate's a strong word. I mean, as a parent, what do you tell your kids? Don't say that word, right? I hate him. No, that's that's a bad word in our house. We don't say that. I hate sin. Yes, Clark. Clark no, I hate sin, Dad. He does. I hate when I sin. He hates it, right? He wants to follow Christ. Amen for that, right? But when you say, I, I hate you to a brother or a sister, oh, guys. That's a, but it makes you wonder, like, I mean, so if, if John is teaching on this, this was obviously happening in the church, right? There were those who were in the church that hated Christians hated those in the church. Now, I mean, does that mean they loathed them? Does that mean that they wished them bodily harm? What does the word hate mean? The Greek word is, getting some Greek tonight. What's the Greek word for love, the verb? Agapao. Now, the Greek word for hate is meseo. That's pretty easy to remember, meseo. Now, here's what it really means. It means to disregard. To disregard. It's the opposite of love. Love sacrificially seeks the good of another. To hate is to disregard others. Robin, I got time for you, man. Out of here, right? That's hate. Love is how can I, how can I use my my time and my energy and my effort to help you grow as a Christian brother? Right? I'll put in the time. But that's love. Sacrificial. It's going to cost you something, but you're seeking that brother's good for the glory of God. Hate is I don't got time for you, man. Get out of here. John is saying those who disregard others within the body of Christ, who think very little of God's people, are clearly not a part of God's family and have not been saved. Whoa. Whoa. Robert Yarbrough writes, Failure to love as Christ commands and enables, well, he commands it, but he also enables it, is tantamount in the kingdom economy, as John presents, to hating. Hating is the opposite of loving. If loving is sacrificially pursuing the good of another for the glory of God, then hatred is selfishly seeking the good of one's own self 
And this attitude is at loggerheads with the teachings of Jesus. So verse 11 is an allusion to Isaiah 59. Those who are in the darkness are still blind. They're wandering aimlessly. They're stumbling. And that's where Isaiah 60 comes into play. We see an allusion to Isaiah 60 and 1 John verse 8. The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So those who are in the darkness are marked by what? And obviously they've not been exposed to the light. But those who are in the light, they're marked by what? Because they've been transformed by the one who loved perfectly. That's pretty simple, right? I mean, I, I think so. According to verse 10, those who are in the light are characterized by horizontal love. You can't, now here's the thing. You can't separate the two. Now this is tough. Okay, now listen. You, you don't have to go to church to be saved. But if you're saved, you're going to obey the Lord. Okay, so we're not going to add to the gospel, ever. I'm never going to say it's faith in Christ plus, you know, attending church 90% of the, That's no, no. But if you love him, John 14, 15, you'll keep his commandments, right? You'll keep his commandments. And I've heard people say, I love Jesus, but I hate his church. I hate his people. A bunch of hypocrites. Oh, can I, can I come alongside you? And can we, can we do life together? And can we study the Bible together? And, man, the church isn't perfect. It's full of sinners, right? It, it, it's simul usus epicator, simultaneously justified and sinful, right? But, man, it's God's people that he died for, right? He, he loves them. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the, the church. Can you rethink this? <laughs> That's dangerous language. I've heard people say that in East Texas. Oh, man, I love Jesus. I hate church. I don't got time. The, the Huntley's is my church. Now, listen, I love hunting just as much as the next guy. But when I'm out in the woods, it's not my church. This is my church. And I'm called to love you. And you're called to love me. And when we do that, we give evidence that we are a gospel community. A community transformed by the, by the gospel. According to John... Something has happened to bring us out of the darkness. We can see in this new vision is transformative. There's a the I'm going to write a book on this. There's a theology of vision or sight in John's writings, meaning what you see. And that's I mean that's really the whole that's my my thesis for our studying John. Behold and believe, because what we behold transforms us. Amen. It does. That's Second Corinthians four six. For God who said, "Let light shine out of darkness." has shown in our hearts to give the light, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And when you behold that light, it transforms you. It changes you. Remember Isaiah 6? What Isaiah saw transformed him. My eyes have seen the Lord. Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell amongst people of unclean lips. Ah! Who will go? I'll go! <laughs> right? I mean, what he saw transformed him to be a part of God's mission. Even though it's going to be really hard. Have you seen Jesus? Like, have you, have you really seen him? His glory, his majesty, his love poured out on the cross. Have you seen it? If you have, by the Spirit, it transforms you. Amen? Because of the cross, you see your sin being taken on by another in your place. Oh! It's through the preaching of the gospel that the Spirit of God moves to provide spiritual sight and regeneration for the spiritually blind and hard-hearted. Those who are in Christ see. We see. We're light people. Amen? We're light people. 
To be in the light is to be in Christ. When we see Christ with new eyes, a, a vision that is enabled by the Holy Spirit, and our hearts are regenerated, we are moved to live differently. Horizontal love is one of the litmus tests for assurance of salvation. Do you love your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you? Do you? Those who truly see Jesus love those who see Jesus. Does that make sense? Those who truly see Jesus love those who see Jesus. Our community is to be a community of love. Now, what is love? It's not passive tolerance. It's what? It's active. It, it's holding believers accountable. It's, it's getting up early with men and studying the Bible. It's, it's praying with women who are going through who knows what. It costs time, energy, and effort. That's love. And that is to mark God's people. All right, if you're a citizen of the U.S., there's evidence to support this, right? There's, there's documents. There should be a birth certificate, a driver's license. There's even expectations, right? We, we stand at the pledge. We pay taxes. We, we vote. We support our troops. These actions verify our citizenship. They're how we express our citizenship. How do we demonstrate our heavenly citizenship? By our what? Through our, our love for one another. Do you know that our love for each other has missional implications? When the church loves each other the way Christ has loved us, what does Jesus say? It shows the world that you're my, my disciples, man. When horizontal love is on display within the body of Christ, it puts God's vertical love on display for the watching world to see. Let me conclude with this. I think we're going to make it. What time is it? I got no minutes, but give me 30 seconds. What does this look like in practice? Okay, that's really, what does it look like to love? What is love? It's sacrificially pursuing the good of another for the glory of God. How can we do that in God's church? Man, study the Bible with a fellow believer. Pray with a fellow believer. Practice hospitality. Open your home to believers. Man, when a part of the body is suffering, come alongside them. Amen? Amen? That's what, don't disregard them. Spend time with them. Pray with them. Pray for them. Open God's word with them. I want to challenge you today. I want you to think of one family or one person that's a member of Kelty's that you can love this week. I want you to take initiative this week, friends. I want you to go up to that person and say, hey, you know, I want to love you because I'm called to. I want to, I want to follow Christ's example. I know I have the power to love because Chris said that. And he actually showed us in God's Word where it says that. But how can I pray for you? Oh, I didn't know you were going through that. Can we stop and pray right now? Ask your fellow believer, how's your walk with the Lord? Yeah, it's not good. I'm not in the Word. You know what? I think a way that I could love you is we meet once a week or twice a month and, and do Bible study together. Is that going to cost you time? You betcha. Is that love? You're going to help that younger believer grow in the faith? Oh, my goodness, that's love. Maybe there's a new family in the church, and man, they're just having a hard time getting plugged in. Hey, you know what? I've seen you guys on a few Sundays. Hey, what are y'all doing tonight? What are you doing you know, Friday night? Why don't you come over and have dinner with us? Or maybe there's a family in the church with a lot of kids. And you wonder, you know, I wonder if they have date nights anymore. Hey, we'll watch your kids if you'll allow us. So Friday night, y'all can have a date night. Oh, that'd be a good one. Those are some examples. I want you to think of one family or one fellow member that you can love intentionally this week. Amen? Let me pray.
Father, we thank you that you are a God of love, and we know that because of the cross. The cross being the ultimate demonstration of love, where Jesus, you laid down your life for sinners. As we saw in Romans, those who were not godly, those who were weak, those who were sinful, you died for such, all of us included. We thank you for your love. Help us to imitate your love. We thank you for the example, Jesus, that you show us in the Gospels and your word. We thank you that you represent us, that we're counted as those who have love because we're united to you by faith. But also we know that you give us the power to love through our union with you and the power of the Spirit to love just like you love us so that the world may know that, Jesus, we're your disciples. And so I pray that Celtic would be a church known for its love for each other, a church that loves its members well, that spends time caring for its members, that weeps and rejoices with its members, that studies the word with its fellow members, that goes the extra mile to see its members conformed more and more to the image of Christ. Father, help us to do this not for personal recognition, but for your glory. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.